I V M I V M You are listening to The Signal Daily Brought to you by Front Page Studios Cuisines from the two most populous countries have populated eateries around the world. Anywhere you go, you'll find restaurants serving Indian food and Chinese food. But rarely will you find the fusion of these two distinct culinary traditions. For the longest time, the comfort and dependability associated with Indo-Chinese staples such as cauliflower manchurian or hakka noodles and sweet and sour soup could only be found in South Asia. But that's not the case anymore. Because we have actually started exporting Indo-Chinese cuisine to the US as it finds a permanent place on the menus of Indian and Nepali restaurants abroad. Initially catering to immigrants, now even everyday Americans who seem to have overcome their fear of spices and curry paste are munching on these unique dishes. In fact, a recent feature by the BBC even talks about how Gobi Manchurian has become the go-to snack at posh parties and downtown restaurants. Who would have thought? But how did Indo-Chinese cuisine make it so far across the Atlantic? The same way that it started actually. As the story goes, Indo-Chinese food originated in Kolkata in the 19th century with an influx of Chinese immigrants. The blend of cuisines is often credited to the Hakka, meaning guest Chinese population, who had a history of migration even within China before they made their way to India. Always on the move, this population was used to incorporating local ingredients and techniques into their cooking. And eateries that initially catered to the migrant population in Kolkata's old Chinatown in Tangra soon began to experiment with spices and evolved to accommodate local flavors. And that's how Indo-Chinese food as we know it was born. And here's another bit of trivia for you. Did you know that the green chili vinegar combo that you see at every Chinese restaurant was also invented in Kolkata around this time? And Manchurian, by the way, has got nothing to do with Manchuria. It was actually created in Mumbai in the 70s. But anyway, back to our story. The same way that they moved to Kolkata, India's Chinese population migrated out of the country after the Sino-Indian War in 1962 and settled abroad in places like the US, taking their food with them. And now, the Indo-Chinese cuisine is adapting to the American taste. A restaurant owner told BBC that Manchurian and Hakka noodles are often paired with white wine, while another restauranter pointed out how spices are kept muted for people looking to try out the food for the first time. I guess new and unexpected combinations will keep popping up in the global melting pot of cuisines. But right now, Indo-Chinese seems to be the leading flavor. For the next few minutes, you are going to know a little more than you did yesterday from the world of technology, business, policy and anything that leaves you with food for thought. Hi, I'm Shorbari and this is the deep dive for 28th November 2023. In June when Prime Minister Narendra Modi was in the US for a state visit, he gifted USA's first lady Jill Biden an unusual diamond. Unusual because it was not extracted from earth, rather it was made and processed in a lab in India's diamond city Surat. And for those who were observing, the message was quite clear. As business journalist N Madhavan noted in a Mint article, quote, by choosing such a gift, India sent out a message that it is keen on making the country a leading player in the world of lab-grown diamonds, end quote. 
In an earlier episode, we had discussed that global demand for natural diamonds has been falling for a number of reasons, and that gradually cheaper lab-grown diamonds are gaining acceptance among buyers. Some businesses in India see it as an opportunity, and the government has been largely supportive. But Martin Rappaport, world-renowned diamond expert and chairman of the U.S.-based Rappaport Group, is ringing alarm bells again. In a recent consumer alert, the group warned about crashing prices of lab-grown diamonds. The wording was quite harsh, and I quote, Consumers beware. Synthetic diamond prices are crashing, yet some retailers are pricing them high by comparing them to prices for natural diamonds. Consumers think that they are getting a good deal, but they're not. End quote. I told you the wording was harsh. But as we noted in our daily newsletter, a warning from Rappaport carries significant weight, given that the Rappaport Group's natural diamond price list is a global benchmark. According to the group, the prices of lab-grown diamonds have fallen 67% over the past three years. A two-carat lab-grown diamond or LGD, which used to retail for $4,690 in July 2020, is now retailing at $1,535. Well, the fall is indeed quite steep. As Rappaport said, and I'm reading it out verbatim, quote, synthetic diamonds are not real diamonds. They do not retain value. But curiously, Indian exporters of lab-grown diamonds are not too rattled by Rappaport's warnings. Some business leaders confirmed to Mint that prices have indeed fallen, possibly hitting their margins, but they're nonetheless hopeful because demand for lab-grown diamonds in the domestic market is rising. In fact, Smith Patel, director of Surat-based Green Lab Diamonds, told the newspaper that his business was 100% export-oriented in the financial year 2018-19. to However, this financial year, domestic sales grew from a negligible amount to 20% of the total business. Which means, cheap synthetic diamonds are growing on budget-minded consumers. The Economic Times quoting Industry Insiders also reported earlier this month that during the Dhanteras Diwali period, the sale of lab-grown diamonds more than doubled, with LGD engagement rings emerging as the most popular category. Seems like diamonds are democratizing, no? But anyway, many believe that in the long run, the rise of cheap lab-grown diamonds will be bad news for the diamond industry. They argue that unlike natural diamonds, which are rare, the supply of synthetic gems is unlimited. Businesses can go about making as many gems in labs as they want. And if LGDs were to become too affordable, they could reduce diamonds to run-of-the-mill ornaments rather than the status symbol that they currently are. In that case, the sale of smaller natural diamonds would further decline, which won't be very good news for India. Because it's also a major exporter of cut natural diamonds. And just FII, 9 out of 10 diamonds mined worldwide are processed in India mainly in Surat. And this year, Surat's diamond industry has already taken a hit, thanks to declining demand for natural diamonds in the US. According to Mint, exports dropped a whopping 30%, with diamond units in Surat cutting back on production. Effectively, it means that 8 lakh skilled workers in Surat who earn a living by cutting and polishing diamonds took home lower salaries. Looks like the diamond industry is in for quite a shake-up. If you like listening to The Signal Daily, please show us some support. Rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We'd love to hear what you have to say about this podcast. So feel free to shoot an email at hello at thesignal.co. The Signal Daily is produced in association with IBM. 
This episode was researched and written by Dhruv Sharma and Anoop Sembar. Edited by Dinesh Narayanan. Produced by Manaswini. Mastered and mixed by Manas and Nirvan. You can catch this podcast every morning on Spotify, Apple, Amazon Prime Music, Google Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We are thesignal.co on Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter.